0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Things that we recommend
1: here is to separate your business account from a personal account. Keep business email for business and a personal email for personal use, and on top of that, enable 2FA.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some interesting stories to share this week. And later in the show, Arjun Sambamurthy of Armor Blocks, he's going to talk about some targeted phishing campaigns they've been tracking to weaponize various Google services during their attack flow. All right, Joe, let's kick things off with some
2: stories here. Why don't you start it off for us? Dave, as of this recording, the Mega Millions lottery jackpot is $750 million. That's Hmm. three quarters of a billion dollars. (laughs) <laughs> pretty soon you're talking about real money. That's right. And you could be almost a billionaire. You probably won't be almost a billionaire. I, I don't recommend people buy lottery tickets. Uh, it's a mathematical certainty that I will not be a billionaire. <laughs> well, okay. So you have not bought a ticket, right?
0: <laughs> no, I have not. Okay, I, I so, think of the lottery as being a tax on people who don't understand math.
2: Right, yeah. Uh the I had a I used to have a supervisor who said uh if you buy a ticket your chances of winning are only slightly better than if you hadn't.
0: <laughs> well, but you got to play to win, Joe. You got to play right. to win. Yeah, my argument was they were actually
2: infinitely better uh because your chances of winning if you don't buy a ticket is zero. Uh, And that kind of (laughs) gets to what I'm talking about today. You know, I'm I'm watching the news this morning, uh, my local news channel, and guess what they talk about? They talk about the Mega Millions jackpot. It's front of mind, and guess who else it's front of mind for? It's front Mm. of mind for scammers. And Mega Millions has, on their site a warning about fake lottery scams. And it's, it's a short warning, but I want to go ahead and read it because this is a very common scam. And when these kind of things become news items, they're only going to become more common. So It says, with the heightened publicity due to a very large jackpot, Mega Millions warns of an uptick in scam attempts as scammers try to take advantage of an increased awareness in the game. But we remind customers that the only way to win Mega Millions is to first purchase a ticket from an American lottery and then match some or all of the winning numbers drawn. There is no random award of million-dollar prizes and or merchandise through social media sites or apps via phone calls, Texts or emails. There are no international sweepstakes or awards. Importantly, no representative of Mega Millions would ever contact individuals to advise them of a prize. You, If you haven't purchased a ticket, you haven't won Mega Millions. And remember, you never have to pay a fee to claim a real lottery prize. Right, And they're saying that scammers are very sophisticated in their attempts to convince people that they've won a prize, which is nothing new that we've said. They also have this page on lottery scams, and they talk about how scammers are going to reach out to customers. They're going to come via email, phone, or maybe even through social media sites. And they're going to tell victims they've won a very large prize, including cash, cars, or some other goods. Uh, Here's a good trick, Dave. Hmm. Sometimes they'll offer a free play that results in a prize. You want to try that Hmm. right now? Sure. Yes. So, okay. Hello, Dave. Uh, I'm Joe <laughs> from the Mega Millions <laughs> Billions Lottery jackpot. You've won a free spin. Do you want me to spin the wheel for you right now? Well, what do I have to lose? Of course. Nothing. Yes. It's free. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you win a million dollars. Now, all you Woo-hoo. have to do in oh. order to get that million dollars is send me a check for $600 for processing fees. Okay. And, right, see, that's how this works. <laughs> uh, of course, we're doing this, you know, very tongue-in-cheek, but the scammers are going to do it in a very convincing way. They mm-hmm. may even have a have a sound effect behind them or, you know, have a stick that they bang together <laughs> to make it sound right. like a wheel <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. Right. They may play a soundbite from Wheel of Fortune. Who knows? <laughs> because this was on the Mega Millions site, it's very Mega Millions focused, but they have some of the names that people have used in these phone calls they say the United States National Lottery Mega Millions Mobile Lottery USA UK Mega Millions Lottery Mega Millions Corporation Mega Millions International Lottery and none of these entities actually exist because mm. Mega Millions actually isn't an organization it's a game
0: mm mm-hmm. and that's though it's like the multi-state version of a lottery right i mean right. it's it's uh, it's yeah m- multiple state lotteries kind of work together to to come up with this big prize
2: yes Yes, they do. And that's how these prizes get so big. That and the fact that it's almost impossible to win. So <laughs> it goes it goes month after month of nobody winning and the, the money just piles up. Right. right. Of course, most of the money goes to the states, to their treasuries, yeah. or whatever they want to spend it on. Here in Maryland, we wisely spend it on stadiums, right? Um, <laughs> I thought we spent it on education. Are you telling me we spent it on stadiums? I think, I I, I know at some point in time, it, the, maybe... Maybe it was Powerball. Some, some of the one of these lotteries was funding the Maryland Stadium Fund. Yeah, I see to buy the, right. the Ravens well, and now the Washington Football Team stadiums.
0: You know, millionaires who own football teams they need a little boost. They, right. they, yeah. they need yeah, all the help they can. That's get, exactly so why right. not. Right.
2: <laughs> Don't get me started on this, Dave. This is this is something <laughs> okay. that really sticks. Moving in my on, right. <laughs> Moving yeah. on. So, what do they want? What do these guys want? They want you to send them money under the auspices of taxes or fees. They may want personal information. They may say, we're going to wire you some money. So give us all your banking details and guess what happens the next morning when you wake up, all Mm. your money's gone from your bank because they, they know what your account is. They also do check floating scams. This is interesting. I hadn't heard of this one before. From a lottery scam, they'll they'll actually send you a fake lottery check and say, "We need you to send send us back, you know, some processing fee from that as soon as possible." And of course, the check doesn't clear, and the person's out that money. They have some tips on the on the website. If someone says you won a lottery that you never played, be suspicious. I don't say be suspicious. I say recognize this is a lie. <laughs> you, yeah, You have to buy a ticket. If you're like Dave and you don't buy a ticket and then <laughs> what happens? You, you cannot possibly win this lottery, right? Right. Uh, if you're in a jurisdiction that's outside the area marketed for the lottery mentioned in the source of the prize, then it's probably a scam, right? Yeah. So if you live in a state that doesn't participate in Mega Millions or if you are outside of the U.S. and you get a call about this, it's a scam. If you're told that you need to keep your win confidential, that should be a red flag right mm. and, and mm-hmm. here actually in Maryland I was looking at the site the other day it's state by state whether or not you can keep your win anonymous but in Maryland you actually can if by some chance and I I guarantee I can well I can't really guarantee but I can almost guarantee this won't happen to any of our many listeners <laughs> that, <laughs> that you win a jackpot like this you should absolutely never publicly disclose that oh I I mean this yeah isn't it pretty much a, a
0: certainty that that if you win one of these, it will ultimately, you'll ultimately end in ruin. Like uh, <laughs> does it doesn't, it, uh, it, it, over the overwhelming odds are that it does not go well. Like yes. you lose all the money and, and even where you're, you end up being worse off than you were in, in the beginning.
2: Yes. A lot of the times that does happen. And there are studies about that. it's, I think it's like more than 50% of the time people who win the lottery. I'm just, I'm going off the top of my head here. I haven't, I don't know what the paper is or, or, but there was a study done on this and you're absolutely yeah. right. That over 50% of the time, people lose the money. Quickly. Are you aware that
0: uh, in our com- very community, Joe, there is a home that is known as the Lottery House? I did not know that. <laughs> yes, there is a home. It is known as the Lottery House. It was built with the winnings. Uh, someone won uh, one of these lotteries, won multi-million dollars. They built a gigantic house It's something, it is a big, big house and it is not going to win any architectural prizes. It's it's known as the lottery house. And ultimately the folks who built the house ended up getting divorced and losing the house. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's a cautionary tale. Right. (laughs) They, They have a number of other things that are in here as well. Here's one that's interesting. If they tell you that you can verify that you've won by calling a number, that number is also part of the scam. Mm, right mm-hmm. now we've we've seen this in other scams, right? This goes back for years where people would print up fake newspapers with lottery numbers in them and then show you a ticket that matches and say, I can't claim the prize for some reason, but you can buy this ticket for me for half the jackpot or for, for half its value. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, mm-hmm. of course, the lottery ticket is worthless. Right. Right. It may even be a real lottery ticket, but they've printed up fake information, bogus information. This is just just the extension of that just via a phone call. This is the best advice right here. If you think someone on the phone is trying to scam you, just hang up, hang up yeah. and don't, you know, don't even say goodbye. Just click and and let it be the end. Uh, chances are, if you do that, they won't call you back. Right.
0: Right. All right. Well, uh, it's good information. And, you know, what happens is these mega millions grow. They get more and more attention paid to them. It's it's an easy story for local affiliates to do. Right. Uh, And and people are interested in it. This is what you see. Yeah. And everybody dreams about hitting the jackpot and getting rich and all the the wonderful things that will happen to them. So it's uh, ripe for scammers to take advantage of for sure. My story this week comes from one of our listeners over on the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast uh, uh, where I do a regular segment. You've been a guest over on Grumpy Old Geeks as well. Yeah, I've been well. with
2: Brian and Jason before.
0: Yep, fun show. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, this is from a listener named Martin, and he says, uh, "I've listened to every episode from you guys, but I've never heard you cover anything in regards to Venmo." Mm-hmm. Joe, you familiar with Venmo? Vaguely. It's a. Isn't it a PayPal product? I'm not sure who owns it. Maybe, but um, you know, it's it's one of uh, the variety of cash exchange, money exchange apps. Right. Where I, I need to send you some money, and so if we both have Venmo both of us enter our banking information into Venmo and we can send money back and forth and it makes it, it makes it easy to do. Right. So, uh, this listener, Martin writes in and he says, my wife recently sent a small transaction to a friend on Venmo, which triggered the both of them to receive a ton of friend requests on Venmo. Shortly after she received a text message from a different friend and her mother confirming the payments she had asked for. She was baffled as she had obviously not asked for anything. It turns out her friend and mother had received a message from her, her as in uh, air quotes, claiming that she was at the store and had forgotten her purse. She needed $42 to check out and would pay them right back. My wife quickly changed her password and I went ahead and disconnected all devices from her account in the security settings just in case. I thought at first that her Venmo account had been compromised, but it turns out that it was a lot simpler than that. Somebody simply looked her up on Venmo, all accounts are public by default, used her first and last name as well as her profile picture, and sent her friends payment requests at random asking for money. The people simply recognized her profile picture and accepted the transaction. The fact that you can freely change your profile picture first and last name as well as username as many times as you want and without any verifications or any checks at all from the Venmo app boggles my mind. Hmm. You would think that a company which is solely used to transfer money in between parties would have a modicum of basic security checks in place. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you would think so. Um, I, I have not heard of this before. This makes total sense to me in that it could be done this way. I have to say my my experience with Venmo is very brief. I believe I have used it once or twice. I think my wife uses it pretty regularly to send money back and forth with her friends and maybe even with uh, our son, our oldest, who doesn't live in the house anymore. The thing that I remember when I started using Venmo was that when you sign up for Venmo, the first thing it does, uh, as many of these apps do, is it tells everybody that you're on Venmo. You right, like, yeah. hey, so you're, Dave's on Venmo. Great, yeah. you know, great news. Great. Right, I get that. And I agree with Martin here that boggles my mind is that the default is that all of your transactions are public so the other thing I did when I joined Venmo was I started looking around at some of my friends, and I remember one of them was um, uh, like a, a local politician friend of mine, and it says, you know, uh, Jane sent fifteen dollars to Bob. Jane sent fifteen dollars to Joe. Jane received forty-five dollars. And I'm going, what? What? I don't. I don't need to know this. And right. I'm sure that this person doesn't want me to know this. This yeah. is no one's business but theirs. Why in the world would you have this be public facing? I guess it's so that Venmo puts across a sense that people are actively using this, that, you know, this is the place to be. Look at all these transactions going by. Isn't this great?
2: You know, I talked about Venmo with our systems engineer, Chris Venghaus, and he and I were having this discussion about it. I said, have you ever used Venmo? And his response was, I don't like Venmo because of the social networking aspect of it. I'm like, Mm. and when I heard that, I was immediately put off by it. So that's why I have not used it is because it is like a social network. Now I'm hearing this, I'm further convinced I don't want to use it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look at at its at its core, it's a useful app and lots of people use it for legitimate purposes, but I have to say I agree with Martin here that the fact that you can change your profile picture and your first and last name as many times as you want and that those that information doesn't have to match your banking information. Right. This to me seems like a major security issue with Venmo because I would agree. I wouldn't because uh, I do this show, but I can imagine uh, many people, if they got a, a, just a casual request from a friend that said, Hey, can you send me 20 bucks? I'm, I'm like Martin said, in this example, I'm at the store and I forgot my wallet. Can you send me 20 bucks? I'd probably do it. Right. You know? So anyway, the lesson here is, uh, if you use Venmo, make sure that everything is set private. And also if you get a request for anybody to send you money, and I would say beyond Venmo, use another method to verify it, right? right? Call that person using the phone number you have for them or send them a text message or something. Get off of the platform that they use to make the request and use something else as a second factor to verify it's a legitimate request. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that way you're much less likely to find yourself uh, scammed
2: by one of these things. Right. If you do use it, can you go in and set your profile to private? So Scammers can't find you to send, send I believe
0: you-, you can. Yeah, I believe you. I, I, I'm not sure about your profile itself, but I know you can set your transactions to be private, certainly. And and that, that's a no-brainer. I mean, right. come on. Why,
2: why isn't that the <laughs> default? <laughs>
0: yeah, that, yeah, I don't get it. I don't yeah, get it either. All right, well, uh, our thanks to uh, listener Martin for sending that into uh, the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. And again, uh, it's, a, it's a that's a fun show, fun irreverent show worth checking out if you consider yourself a grumpy old geek, uh, which I know Joe and I, you and I both do from time to time. Very much so. <laughs> it's a show worth <laughs> checking out. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day.
2: Dave, our catch of the day actually comes from my son who uh, received this message in his email. And uh, it's a rather threatening message, but it comes from David Bowditch, allegedly from the FBI. Dave, why don't you read it? I'll just uh, read the uh, the return address here to start off because
0: that really sets the tone for things. Right. Federal Bureau of Investigation, Field Intelligence Group, J. Edgar Hoover Building, 935 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C., 20535. Attention, beneficiary, I am the deputy director, Federal Bureau of Investigation David Bowditch. We intercepted and seized a sealed envelope at the John F. Kennedy International Airport, New York, New York, coming from a foreign country. We scanned the content of the sealed envelope and found it contained a sum of $4.1 million value certified payment bond. Also, the sealed envelope had documents with your name on them as the receiver of the package, We questioned the diplomat that accompanied the sealed envelope into the United States, and we learned that he was to deliver this sealed envelope to your residence as payment of an inheritance, winning prize payment due and owed you. The envelope paperwork lacks proof of ownership certificate and legal delivery permit clearance certificate form. We confiscated the envelope and released the diplomat, The sealed envelope, according to Section 229, Subsection 31 of the International Commerce Regulator's Code Enforcement Guidelines, lacks proof-of-ownership certificate and legal delivery permit clearance certificate. And since the content is valued financial material of such amount from the joint team of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and Homeland Security... You are to reply for direction on how to procure the envelope so you will be relieved of the charges of tax evasion, which is a jailable offense under section 12, subsection 441 of the tax code. We will also be asking the IRS to launch an investigation on money laundering if you do not follow our instructions. You are required to reply within 72 hours. At that point, I will walk you through the process of clearing and claiming your money. Failure to comply may lead to your arrest, interrogation, and or you being prosecuted by the court of law for tax evasion and or money laundering. You are also advised not to contact any bank in Africa, Europe, or banking institutions for security reasons. Yours in service, David Bowditch, Deputy Director, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Menacing,
2: no? (laughs) Well, I mean, money laundering, tax evasion, these are all things that'll... Grab your attention. Right. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna sick the IRS on you. I mean, even though mm-hmm. I don't think the IRS handles money laundering investigations, I think that's done by the Federal Bureau of Investigation or by the Secret Service. I don't know who does it actually. I think just the FBI. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I know, know the IRS but, doesn't. They handle tax yeah. evasion, um, but not money laundering. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of grammatical errors in this It's obviously the opening part of a scam to get you to pay some money to release some money to you or uh, maybe possibly to garner some personal identifiable information. I chose it today uh, not because it came from my son, but because of the amount of just threats that are in in this thing. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. And I can imagine once they get your attention and you call in, they
0: could say, oh, well, thank you for calling. We've cleared all this up. We've established that, yes, you are indeed uh, entitled to this four million dollars. All we need from you is a check for six hundred dollars to for the taxes or clear whatever, right? Uh, and uh, and the money will be yours. And and Bob's your uncle. There's the scam, right? All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Arjun Sambamurthy from Armor Blocks. Uh, And he and his team have been uh, checking out uh, some phishing campaigns that have been taking advantage of some Google services. Here's my conversation with Arjun Sambamurthy.
1: Last month, we saw like a spike in benefactor scam attacks, right? So we're trying to figure out like, you know, hey, why this interesting, you know, spike in benefactor scam? Benefactor scam kind of attacks like, you know, this kind of like a variant of Nigerian scam. It's been happening for a long time. Nothing new, right? Then we started digging in deeper and... Then we found out, you know, hey, the attack by itself is nothing new. The content of the attack is not new, but what's different was how the attack was actually delivered to the users, right? So then we realized, you know, uh, the attackers are actually starting to use Google services and Google products to deliver these kind of attacks. Then we started looking in further to just figure out that a whole lot of phishing campaigns, not just manufacturer fraud, a whole lot of phishing campaigns are starting to happen with uh, Google services. And that's so we started looking into this. And we observe the same thing pretty much across all of our customers. And then we thought maybe it'd be an interesting thing to actually like know let the people know about how people are actually exploiting Google and uh, leveraging Google services to launch these kind of fishing campaigns.
0: Well, let's walk through it together. I mean, what uh, what did you discover and and how did you go about discovering it?
1: I mean one of the things that came of interest was like you now just take a specific example here. It's a scam. So if you look at the look at the blog post, that we be published. And so the email actually comes in from someone claiming to be a childless widow. And they say, hey, I have cancer. And my husband, uh, my husband has passed away due to COVID. And we have this huge amount of money. And we're looking for someone to actually inherit this money or inherit this trust to help orphans, right? And then they said, like, you know, for us to actually inherit this trust, we would like to get some personal information about yourself. Stuff like your name, your social security number, your tax ID number and stuff like that. And then if you're actually like a respond to those kind of emails, so they get your personal information and then they walk away from it. And that's it. It's it's gone. Usually these kind of scams uh, are usually spam emails, right? Usually end up in a spam folder. You never see it in your inbox. And we started to see these kind of emails landing in people's inboxes. So that's what kind of made it interesting for us to find out, wait, why these kind of scams are actually starting to show up in people's inboxes. And uh, we started like, that's when we started digging in deeper to understand, okay, hey, there is a language context to it. You know, there's a sense of urgency, and people are trying to ask for sensitive information about yourself. And most of these emails are coming in from gmail.com. It's not coming in from a a suspicious domain, a spammy email domain, right, with low reputation, it's coming from gmail.com. I mean, most of these attacks are actually automated attacks coming from Google Forms, right? So it has hyperlink to Google Forms. If you click it, it goes to Google, and then they actually give you options to actually like take your personal information and record it and walk away with it. Then our system actually like identified these different kinds of context uh, that's being used. And we also noticed there is no established trust between the sender and the recipient, right? So even though it's coming from a trusted uh, source like Gmail and pointing to a trusted or well, well-reputed domain like you know, forms.google.com, this was not something that was happening quite often for all the targeted users. So we actually identified this attack, and it came to our attention.:
0: How is it that they're getting past Google's spam filters? I generally, I think most people would consider that Google's spam filters are probably among the best out there.
1: Oh, yeah, Google's spam filters are obviously the best out there. But most of these attacks that we see here are actually landing in people's mailboxes that's not Gmail that's not actually protected by Google, for instance,. Right? So these are like uh, instance like you know Microsoft's Office 365. Are possibly like, you know, Microsoft Exchange and different email service providers. Many of the spam filters that we use out there, right? So they try to provide a score to anything what is spam and what is not spam. Because like the email is, is possibly coming in from gmail.com, right? So it also uh, has a, you know, a reputable uh, link to uh, to a suspicious website. It's possibly like, you know, exceeding the threshold of reputation. So it's, it's most likely to be highly, highly trustworthy, highly reputable to actually skip the spam filters and land in your mailbox.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. So what is your take on this? I mean, in, in terms of folks being able to protect themselves against it, what do you recommend?
1: We'd like to recommend is, I mean, like because it's just not the, you know, uh, benefactor scam kind of attacks, we also are seeing really interesting kinds of attacks by like, you know, things like uh, people trying to spoof financial institutions, right? Say, for example, one thing that we noticed was someone actually getting an email from American Express saying, hey, you know your your personal details are actually missing. Can you actually like fill out this form? And they actually take your credentials, your bank credentials, your personal data, the security questions, and then they walk away from it. Things that we recommend here is to separate your business account from a personal account. Keep business email for business and a personal email for personal use. And on top of that, enable two FA. Multi-factor authentication is going to be highly important. The users in general try to I have to protect their accounts because most of these attacks to your credentials and walk away with the credentials and once they have your credentials they can do further damage to you to you or potentially to the people that you are in good relationship with right so enabling 2fa is going to be highly important and on top of that having security awareness understanding how what about these different kinds of attacks on a constant basis and, and and learning from it is going to be highly important the thing is like because the attack paradigm is constantly changing it is a responsibility to actually try to protect our data and also protect ourselves. So security awareness is, is something that we would, uh, you know, I would highly recommend people to closely follow up on and uh, protect themselves.
0: You know, you mentioned that, that these folks are using Google Forms to collect the data, to, to gather it up. When they're doing that, is is that a potential red flag there? Is it obvious that this is a Google Form, or are they doing a good job of hiding that as well?
1: It's a great point. I mean, it's kind of obvious. I mean, like, if uh, the kind of links they're clicking into, and you actually like you know filling out this data if you pay a little bit more attention you actually know it is google forms it's not actually uh, uh the website of the brand that's being impersonated it's not the bank's website it is google forms but most of these attacks happen with some sense of urgency that dislods people from not paying those close attention but if someone had to pay mm-hmm. close attention to it they would actually know this is something that's fake so this is where i i think like you know, educating people to be more aware of what they're clicking into and trying to be a little bit more paranoid, a bit, bit more suspicious about those emails that they receive from unknown domains or unknown email addresses would actually help them better protect themselves. All
2: right, Joe, what do you think? Interesting interview. Something that Arjun noticed is that the scams are not new. These are not new pretenses or anything. They rarely are new anymore. That's why we have this show, because if you're aware of how this scam works, you, you will hopefully be able to identify it in any form. But what is new is the techniques they're using to deliver the scam, and those are going to continue to change and develop. And we've talked about people using Google services in various capacities before, and we've had Catch of the Days that talk about this. But Arjun and Armorblocks have done a deep dive here, and if you go to their blog and read it, it's pretty interesting post that they have there. These guys are using Google Forms and Gmail because they are trusted and more likely to get by the spam filters. Right. You and he talked about the fact that Google spam filters are pretty good, but they're not sending these emails to Gmail addresses. They're sending them from the Gmail address. Yeah. And then they're collecting the information on Google Forms as an easy way to collect this data. And it's all free. This is just another way to just lower the cost of trying to collect this information from people. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And as you say, I mean, when a request comes from a Google domain, that's certainly well known, well established as being legit. So more likely to, to make it through those filters.
2: It's not going to get stopped by any web filtering you have going on because it's going to Google. On the blog post, they had an example of an American Express scam where they were asking for your username, your password, your account number, and like your mother's maiden name, which is usually security questions. They're really trying to get into the accounts here. Arjun's recommendation about keeping personal email separate from business email is something I've never said before because I'm in an assumption that everybody already knows this. And that assumption may not be correct. In fact, it almost certainly is not correct. So let me say this now. I agree. Don't do personal business on a business email address. Do it on a, on a personal email address. And one of the biggest reasons for this is you're not going to be at your job forever, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to mm-hmm. change jobs and then somebody's going to lose contact with you. And if, if, if that person is, is somebody that you do personal business with, they're going to have a hard time finding you or you might not be able to get a hold of their email address because you don't have access to that that email anymore. I just don't th- see why people do this.
0: Well, and also it's an important point that you, you're you not guaranteed that you're going to have access to that business email account forever for a variety of reasons. As you say, you could move on to another job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible that the separation of you from your company may not be a, a friendly one. And so they may cut you off from that email address. It's also possible the company could go under, go out of business and suddenly, you you know, you come into work one day and there's a lock on the door and everything's been shut down and including the email addresses. So better to have it under your
2: own control. Yeah, the server could be powered off. Yeah. And then you'll never get to it. His recommendation to use multi-factor authentication. Again, I recommend you doing that all the time. And it is our responsibility to protect our data. And I like to to say, be a little more paranoid. I I think that (laughs) paranoia does you well. (laughs)
0: Paranoia, self-destroyer. Well, just because
2: you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. (laughs) That's right.
0: That's right. All right. Well, uh, our thanks to Arjun for joining us. We want to thank all of you for listening. That is our show. And of course, our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.